healthcare, mergers and acquisitions continue, and Gillian Sciences earnings. This is Industry Focus. Hi, Fools. Healthcare analyst Michael Douglas, and I am on Skype with Todd Campbell today. Todd, a lot of news coming out of healthcare. It is we're in the middle of earnings season, and uh, we've got a very exciting uh, earnings uh, for Gilead Sciences to cover, which is you know uh, I think a perennial favorite company for both of us. Um, but but first off, let's talk about Teva and Allergan. This is the latest you know multi-billion-dollar uh, merger. Uh, discussed in healthcare. This is um, Teva's spending $40.5 billion to purchase Allergan's generics business, which includes about a thousand generics. Um, so, so let's go ahead and dive into the deal um, and see what the investing takeaways here are. Yeah, Michael, it's not like we didn't have enough to discuss this week without this deal. <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, with all the earnings that are coming out. But yep, but, but, but Chris Hill promised Market Foolery listeners that we would be covering it, and so we are covering it. It's our pleasure to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you know, Teva a lot has been a lightning rod for of contention um, and debate for a little bit over a year now mm-hmm. um, because of the patent expiration on its multiple sclerosis drug, Copax One. Um, you know that drug did indeed lose patent protection, and after legal wrangling, now is facing off against some competitors. Mm-hmm. People, because Copax One accounts for twenty percent of you know Teva's sales. People were worried, you know, what's this company going to do for future growth? And they've just answered the question. Um, we're going to buy it. Right. Um, you know, they had been, you know, fighting pretty hard uh, to try and acquire competitor Mylan. Um, this deal trumps that, basically ends the negotiations, if you will, to buy Mylan. Um, and for right around the same amount of money, um, they end up getting Allergan's very attractive generics pipeline. I mean, this is a a business um, that does already $6.75 billion in annualized sales. Um, it's got a bunch of interesting drugs under development in the specialty area that could fuel future growth. And importantly, this is where the company will be able to generate some future upside to their earnings and offset some of the risk that could be uh, tied to you know a biosimilar version of Copax One, right? And and certainly there there's been a lot of news around um, in the last year about litigation around Copax One and um, you know one generic coming and others on the way, um, and so certainly good news from, for Teva investors that the company very much still sees opportunities for growth and has picked up a pretty attractive portfolio. Now, on the Allergan side, though, this is interesting because, you know, Allergan and Activis um, had pretty recently combined. Um, and now you've got Allergan getting rid of a, a lot of that generic scale that Activis had kind of brought to that um, to that merger. Um, yeah, it's almost like they, they took Allergan's name and they decided, you know what, we're just going to be Allergan. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't even want to be this other business that we once were. Yeah, although, as, as you pointed out before the before we started, uh, before we filmed, um, you know, they are still keeping the biosimilars portfolio. So Yeah, they didn't get rid of everything. Yeah. So, you know, Allergan investors still have the potential to benefit from, you know, future biosimilars that are being worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this look, this think about it this way. You know, when activists paid... $66 billion uh, to buy Allergan. Um, they're getting $40 billion of it back. Right. Um, I think it's a good move for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, generic business is a low margin business. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've said this before in other areas of healthcare, be it insurers or whatnot. Um, when you have a low margin business, scale really does matter. And, you know, in, in combining 
uh, Teva's existing uh, business with this newly acquired business, they think they'll be able to shave about, you know, not chump change, $1.4 billion a year in savings from combining these two entities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that should give it uh, low double digit to mid double digit, you know, maybe t- call it 10 to 15% earnings accretion next year. They're modeling for 20% earnings accretion and in the two years following that. So, I mean, this is, you know, you could argue, hey, is this too expensive? Did they pay too much for this business? But they're making money on the deal. You know, mm-hmm. they, they're buying it smart. They're buying earnings growth. And I think that that means that investors now have to look at uh, Teva again and say, hey, you know, is do I want this in my portfolio? It's now the ninth largest drug maker in the world. I mean, it's, it's one that you have to be thinking about. Yeah, for sure. And for Allergan, this gives them a, you know, a lot of optionality now in terms of what they're going to do with that cash. Um, and you know, they, they've been, they, they've been doing a little bit on the M and a front, but you've got to wonder what else they'll be going after. Yeah. And I would imagine that most of their focus obviously from here is going to continue to be branding, uh, building out the aesthetics business. Sure. Um, they did the Cathera, um, acquisition earlier this year. Uh, I, I think that there's obviously a lot of, lot to like about both companies but you know this is an investing you know program we do like to try and educate and uh people on what the takeaway might be and in this case i think you look at it and you say teva is probably a little bit more risky than allergan but it's also trading a little cheaper on forward estimates um so maybe if you're a little bit more risk tolerant you lean that way um and if maybe if you're a little less risk tolerant you lean the other way Sounds good to me. All right, and let's let's hop on over to uh, Gilead Sciences, a, a company that I, I think neither of us have any reservations uh, about expressing how uh, how generally bullish we are on the company, uh, and certainly um, earnings which were announced last night. Um, I would say highlighted sort of the reasons you and I are both shareholders of the company. Um, or at least, certainly, that was the case for me. Uh, Todd, what do you think? Let's let's boil down earnings. You know, we'll get to you know individual. Uh, top line and and bottom line numbers, but but boil down the call. Like, what was the most important number that you heard? Well, for full disclosure, and you and I have talked about Gilead a few times in the yeah, past. A few times. Uh, I I am long the stock. Yeah. Um, and of course, I was very happy to see the results that they put up uh, last night. I would say that of all of the numbers that were thrown out, and boy, there there are a lot of it's like picking your favorite child. I'm going to say uh, 300,000, uh, and that's because that's the number that they think is sustainable for the number of patients they can treat annually with their hepatitis C drugs. Um, you know, if you look at what they're treating right now, and you know, last quarter they said, you know, hey, you know, we treated about 60,000 patients here, up from 45,000 Q4. Um, and we traded about 130,000 uh, in the U.S. in the first six months, which is about what we treated all of last year. Right. So, I mean, if you say, okay, well, we can annualize out at around 300,000, well, the 20 billion run rate that we're running at in the second quarter just for hepatitis C, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. and of course, um, there's the possibility of some additional softness in that in that market, and um, payer restrictions are still going to be something that they're going to be having to kind of handle and, and deal with and work with, both in the U.S. and in Europe, as you have a number of um, 
for a lot of the European uh, countries, there are certain budget caps on on healthcare expenditures in certain line items, and so you know Gilead's going to have to be smart about exactly how they how they meet those or whether they can negotiate those up and sort of how they can work with that. Um, but definitely a really important number. Um, I'm going to go ahead and break my own rule. I said I, I asked you for one number. I'm going to give two. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm just going to call it host privilege. Um, the first was 90 percent, and that is their market share in hepatitis C patients. 90 percent. It's it, that's just it's an incredible number when you think of all of the the, the worry and investor concern heading into the January launch of AbbVie's Vicarapac. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you know, give credit where credit's due. I mean, Vicarapac sales grew 67% quarter over quarter in the second quarter. Right. Um, but, you know, you're still talking about year over year growth of 40% for Gilead off of a much larger base. Yes. You know, again, $12 billion in hepatitis C sales last year and the potential, you know, running out right now annualized at, you know, close to $20 billion. Um, yeah, that market share number is, is pretty darn impressive. Yeah, and the other, and because, you know, Whenever, whenever anyone talks about Gilead, they always talk about hepatitis C. Not always do they talk about HIV, which is another huge portfolio and a place that Gilead um, has a great deal of market share. Specifically, 8 out of 10 treatment-naive patients begin therapy on a Gilead drug. Okay, so when you think about the massive population that, that needs help with HIV and what a, what a huge percentage of the folks who are getting help um, through Gilead, that really just highlights that massive opportunity for them um, and just how huge their market share is. And I mean, Gilead is a company in both of these spaces that has just said you know, very clearly, listen, we're just going to be the big dog in these two spaces. And they've really managed to make that happen. And it's an incredible thing to see. I think that you've got to look at the HIV business as being the bread and butter business of Gilead. And, you know, it's one that's easily forgotten and it really shouldn't be because you're still talking about a business that does more than $10 billion annually um, for this company and and growing. I mean, last last quarter sales were up about 8% year over year. That's nothing to sneeze at. And a lot of that growth is coming, obviously, because like you said, they, they, you know, market share wins. I mean, eight out of every 10 new patients uh, diagnosed is getting treated with Gilead, um, uh, Gilead medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is, this is an important indication. It offers a lot of future potential. A lot of people, aren't, I think, aren't really modeling in the benefit from the new formulation of variant uh, TAF that's going to be rolled out in combination therapies going from here. I mean, they've, they've got an FDA decision date in November, another one coming next March. Um, if the FDA grants approval of those, um, you've got a drug now that has less risk, poses less of a risk to kidneys, mm-hmm. uh, could theoretically get used in more compromised patients. The reality is that we've got, you know, if you look at HIV and where we've come in the last 20 years, a lot of that is due to the advances that were made by Gilead. Yeah. And, Patients are living longer, longer, more normal, healthier lives. And as a result, because, you know, unfortunately, it's still chronic, there's no cure. It's a chronic disease. They're going to re- continue to take treatment. Um, that does give investors a lot of confidence in the future outlook for this company. Sure. Um, speaking of outlook, actually, you, you, you segued into a very nice point that um, I think Gilead really highlighted for us yesterday. So when, when you look at company management, one of the things you have to think about is, um, you know, d- does company management talk a big game and then fail to deliver? Does company management 
we hope uh, give us you know a really accurate picture of what things look like, or is this or, or do you have a company management that tends to sandbag a little bit on on expectations? And Gilead has a a, a bit of a reputation from people I've talked to uh, for being fairly conservative in their outlook, um, and I, I think the fact that they've now raised their uh, twenty fifteen guidance now twice. And there have only been two quarters in 2015, uh, so you can do the math there, um, is a, a pretty good highlight of the fact that they, they, they do tend to uh, under-promise and over-deliver a little bit. Yeah. Michael, you know, I've been in this business a while. Yeah. And, you know, if there's one thing that I, I truly believe, it's that great management teams know to do exactly that. Yep. You know, under-promise, over-deliver, ratchet down the expectations of investors, and then deliver market-beating uh, results. And that's what Gilead seems to do yeah. time and time again. This is the third quarter in a row that they've outpaced forecasts on the bottom line. Um, you know, you and I were laughing earlier before we went live about how, you know, if you look at what they came into 2015, they were expecting, you know, to earn about a minimum of $26 billion right. in, uh, in revenue, generate about $26 billion in revenue. Now they're at $29 billion. So, you know, the $3 billion sandbag, if you will. Yeah. I mean, and and while I, I suppose you could say that's, you know, only, and I'm putting that in, in scare quotes, you know, only what, like uh, maybe 12 to 15 percent additional upside, uh, you know, that's 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 $3 billion. That's that's no chump change. Um, yeah, I, a lot of uh, a lot of, you know, Gilead's competitors would would love to be able to up their guidance by $3 billion. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great thing. Um, I, I want to highlight one other quote. This isn't actually particularly investing related, but I just thought it was funny uh, from the Gilead Sciences call. Um, so a question came in from an analyst about um, whether there were any <coughs> mid-cap companies that, that Gilead thought looked maybe potentially undervalued. And uh, John, John Milligan, the president and uh, chief operating officer, responded, uh, in terms of your question of undervalued small mid-cap stock, we're not in the business of giving stock tips to folks, so I think I will continue to decline that. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'm afraid... Hey, you know, you got to give the credit, you know, credit... Yeah. Try it. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I appreciated the analyst for trying, um, and I've, I, I've got to say, you know, for better or for worse, unfortunately, Gilead does not give out stock tips. But that's why, um, that's why there are people like us to, to talk through stocks. Um, Todd, as always, a pleasure. Thank you for your, uh, for your, your two cents on these really big breaking news stories. Um, we'll have a lot more to cover in industry-focused healthcare as earnings season continues. Uh, next week, I will be out. Uh, and Christine Hargis will be stepping in for me to host, uh, so y'all can look forward to fewer vocalized pauses and a um, and really a, a fantastic, uh, fantastic podcast presence. Um, as always, please send along your questions. We have lots of them. We love answering them, uh, and we certainly read them all, even if we don't get to answer them all on the show or in writing. Uh, and that's industryfocus at fool dot com. Again, that's industryfocus one word at fool dot com. Thanks much. Check back to The Motley Fool for all of your investing needs and fool on. As always, remember that folks on this show uh, may have um, ownership or other positions in stocks that are mentioned on this show, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against stocks that are mentioned on this show. So please don't ever buy anything based just on what you hear. Do your own research. That's the foolish way. And that is how you do stock research. Thanks much. 